Welcome back, Jays fans, to another episode of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. My name is Brian Dott. I go by Crate Nodder at whiteandbluereview.com. And with me tonight, as always, almost always, right, Matt DeMarinas, Joey Tempo. Gentlemen, I know we've been talking a little bit off the air here while we're getting primed and ready to roll for this podcast tonight. It's been a while. We have a lot we could talk about. We want to uh, you know, dive right into hoops, but... Um, first, welcome back to the show. Glad we can make this happen tonight. I know, Matt, you've been really busy with those Blue Jay Beat uh, post-game, uh, post-press conference podcasts. Kudos to you on those. They're awesome. We hear great things about those. Um, but just wanted to thank you guys for, for coming back. Happy New Year Yeah. to two of the biggest and uh, uh, most knowledgeable um, folks on Creighton sports that I know. I know off the... <laughs> Off the off the air, we were just kind of diving into, you know, um, how surprising it's been to see how good Martin Crample has turned into um, his sophomore redshirt sophomore season. I mean, before the season started, guys, we were talking a lot about Kyrie still being the most improved guy. Um, you know, obviously Marcus putting a ton of time in, Marcus Foster putting a ton of time in for his swan song season. But, I mean, through three games of the Big East uh, conference slate so far that has the Jays 2-1, and one, I mean, Martin's the guy that stands out to you, right? I mean, we knew Marcus was going to be what he is. We knew Kyrie was going to do what he was going to do. But I don't think we all thought that Martin would be this good, this quick, against, uh, against the Big East, yeah? Yeah, he's clearly the guy that I mean, because it was a question mark coming in, right? So you're like, it just didn't seem like Creighton had a lot of momentum in the front court. You know, when you look at Ian Steer's decommitment, um, it kind of opens up a, well, what are they going to do now type of deal. Um, then you look at Toby Hegner being a senior, Manny Suarez coming in as a D two transfer. You're like, okay, what's a D two guy going to do at the, you know, in in the Big East um, for one season essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of a stopgap guy. And then Martin, you're like, well, Martin's going to get a lot of minutes. Uh, what can he do with those minutes type of deal? That was, you know, it was they were all fair question marks, I thought. But I, sure. mean, I don't think I don't think at this point you consider Martin a question mark anymore. I mean, especially when you look at how he dominated a really physical, athletic front line for St. John's last night. I know, I know there's going to be different types of matchups. Um you know, the rest of this league, like Amari Spellman is a big, bulky guy. Uh, Providence certainly has some girth on their front line. Yeah. Uh, you know, Seton Hall. But, I mean, even the Seton Hall game, he was amazing in the Seton Hall game. He was probably the best player, you know, Creighton had throughout the game, right? I mean, sure. until he started being a little passive when he got into foul trouble, he was a little bit probably too passive. But I think that's a lesson for him to learn going forward. He's still – there are still lessons for him to learn. Um, but, I mean, when you look at his production, like 13 points, 8 boards – He's just under a steal and a block per game. Um, 65% from the floor, for crying out loud. Yeah, and, right. Like, he's just a very he, – he, he's doing what they needed. He's filling that – you know, he's filling the void that Justin left. I really do think he's he, – he doesn't – you know, he's not an NBA prospect like Justin is. He doesn't, he doesn't pass the ball or handle the ball the way Justin does. He doesn't alter shots at the rim at the level Justin does. But he's a better rebounder. For sure. Just, I mean, just as efficient as a scorer. 
Um, he's really good and athletic in ball screens. He makes good reads. He's a good passer. You know, he's a, a good enough passer in the ball screens where he can be on the perimeter. I don't think there's anything through 15 games of the season you can go, all right, Martin, you're fine, but you need to be better this, this, and this. Like, he's given Creighton fans and this team more than they could have asked out of him as a, as a redshirt sophomore. Sure. I, 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 just driving home from the game last night, you know, you listen to the postgame radio show and – John Bishop's asking Kyrie, um, you know, to talk about Martin's play. And, and Kyrie, very very frankly, said he does a lot of great things for us. We, we want him to roll more. We need him to do these things mm-hmm. constantly yeah. because he is that effective in those positions and he can finish very strong. I think that's one thing that's been really great to see from him. Obviously, the dunks are one thing, right? I mean, he put a couple guys on a poster against St. John's, had a couple poster moments against Providence as well. Um, just the last two games, but I think his ability to finish at the rim with some of those softer pieces, I know he missed one that he would have loved to have back against Seton Hall, um, you know, but I think the dexterity of of his uh, finishes, you know, um, down in the paint, obviously the threes aren't really going for him as he'd probably like them to, um, you know, so far. But, again, I, I, I do see little glimpses of kind of that, that option that Justin gave the Jays last year that Martin is mm-hmm. now kind of opening up them up opening up for them um in his absence so yeah just like to do a blind resume right here I'll just I'll just ask you two a question right. tell me where you think he slots in here so I know it's going to be hard to kind of erase what he's done and take that out of your mind but try to just wipe the slate clean and rank rank him where you think he falls in the pecking order, let's say just the third leading scorer behind Marcus and Kyrie, because you know those guys are giving you double figures. So here is Martin, Ronnie, Mitch, Tyshawn, Toby, Davion, and what you thought was going to, like what you thought you were getting out of Caleb Joseph as far as all the preseason hype went for newcomer of the year and, um, you know, the starting point guard and all that stuff. Like just take those, what, two, four, six, seven players, Mm-hmm. Where do you think Martin? Where at the beginning of the season would you be like Martin is going to rank here among those seven players in scoring? Um, like you said, like I think the touches were going to be there. I just don't know that how comfortable anybody was with whoever was going to be distributing to him. So I would have probably picked. I would have been happy with double figures. I would have probably though probably picked him fourth or fifth. Okay. Total yeah. overall. I would, I would, yeah. I would have said fifth. And to be to be completely honest, when I projected, just like I do every year for the roster, I project the starting lineup. I had him as the seventh man on this team. I didn't think okay, he was going to yeah. start. I, I thought I thought Ronnie was going to start at the four, Toby at the five, and Martin would spell Ronnie minutes. And uh, I didn't really necessarily think he could go from a, you know, two point eight per game kind of guy to. I thought he could maybe double that and get to maybe a six point per game kind of guy, not a twelve mm-hmm. point per game kind of guy. And then yeah. with like you guys were so saying, his rebounding, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Keep going. He, he's 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 first among that group then, and he's first among that group by four points per game. Like it's yeah. not close. Like it's not close. Like, yeah. That group, yeah. that group is all bunched together, and he is separated at one. Like so, behind Kyrie, he's two points off of Kyrie essentially in points per game. Yeah, and he's not he's not he's not shot hunting. These things are coming no. to him, and he's he's, yeah. he's he's converting at a very effective rate, you know what I mean? So, I mean, if anything, we should be getting him more touches in these positions, like Kyrie know, was right. saying, to be honest. Right. 
you know, one of the one of the things I find really interesting about uh, Martine, and it's something that was brought up to me. I remember when he was recruited by you know Coach Lutz and Coach McDermott. So right now, uh, Martine is a uh, is a redshirt sophomore mm-hmm. who is twenty three years old. He is we, two we months make, older than Marcus Farster. Yeah, yeah. Unofficial, unofficial twenty three. <laughs> True, but I'm but I mean he's two months older than Marcus Foster. Yeah, who's yeah. a redshirt senior, uh, and so I mean to have his kind of experience and age and leadership and build. You know, he's a man and he's a redshirt sophomore for this team. You know, uh, he's not asked to do anything crazy yet. He's, you know, you know, he's not asked to be the leader, the vocal leader of this team. He has a great role. Uh, and um, yeah, it's, it's going to be exciting for the rest of the year to watch him go against other elite players in the Big East because so far what we've witnessed is it has been nothing but short of great. What I think is really cool too is that Jacob Everson kind of gets to play behind that. Next oh, year. yeah, baby. Uh, the one, I think the one thing people thought was like, man, is this team going to have to throw Epperson to the fire and, you know, essentially waste that skinny freshman version that Justin never get to, like, or Justin got to sit out and get bulkier and stronger. You're like, man, is Jacob just going to get bully-balled all season to kind of, like, out of necessity, essentially, but out of lack of bodies. Um, Could you imagine having Epperson and Tariq Owens stand next to each other? That would, like, make one Martin Crample. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that dude's Martin- knees are wider than his – legs i couldn't believe it yeah. it's like he it's got 11, skinnier than last year like, yeah, he got yeah, skinnier yeah. from last year it's yeah. amazing anyway martin mentioned that in the post game too he's like i thought i was i thought i had a toughness advantage on him just because he's smaller than me <laughs> and it's like <laughs> you know what i mean like he just yeah. he, but he talks like that because he's That's just he's just like he's just blunt honest you know what i mean he doesn't really care what anybody else says like and you watch him in practice and when he's when he's blocking shots, which he blocked a big one against St. John's. Oh, yeah. Talk about yeah that was um, playing the game. Yeah, I mean. On the stretch uh, out to come out and close that down. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I mean, that was one of those plays where, I mean, he the whole team could have literally just hung their head. And thought, oh my God, Tyshawn missed this free throw. They're going to come down and score. There's a lane to the bucket. Simon's amazing, going to the bucket all night. And he just, you know, he sized him up and, and you know, met him right there and had no fear doing that either. You know what I mean? There was no hesitancy. Uh, you know, he went for it and it, it paid off. And again, yeah, Kyrie's shot was the dagger. But I mean, if he doesn't make that play, it's a completely different game. You know, I think Creighton maybe loses that game if Martin doesn't make that play. Yeah, should we dive into the game a little bit? I mean, I've already done. We, I mean, we have an interview with Tyler that we I, we talk about it on. We did the Tuesday beat, so I'm like, I've pretty much talked about it in seven different angles. Like, what did you guys think? Of <laughs> last, what did you guys think of last night? And like, what's your perspective on how things went down? I mean, I thought Brian was like, I'm trying to tweet negative things and all that. So it's like, yeah. So to me, what we haven't seen happen, at least recently, in kind of you know. I, I, hindsight's 2020 or you put the blue glasses on or whatever but i mean being in kansas city watching them get up double digits against baylor having baylor make their run and then the jays not being able to overcome it um seeing the same thing certainly against the zags um not being able to overcome it they they did still hang in there in the end against seton hall and then they just lost those last couple of minutes, not because, you know, their tail was between their legs or they were kind of knocked uh, punch drunk or anything like that. It just That's the way those last couple of possessions went on both ends. What I thought was, I guess, maybe encouraging was that 14 to nothing run was legit. 
St. John's made all the plays they needed to make. Um, the Jays missed a bunch of shots that they could have made. And in other um, instances, I think we've probably seen the Jays kind of like fold and not really claw back in. They might have clawed back in, but, you know, not gone all the way through and then punched away for the victory, right? And I thought that was something that I took away was they got down big. They didn't panic. You know, that 14 nothing run, they it ends up being a 10-point, you know, uh, deficit there early in the second half. But, I mean, they were still down about, you know – Midway through that first half of the second half, you felt like yeah, they, they just lost still the first five minutes. Like that, that first five minutes that you think is really crucial to the right. comeback, like but they lost that. Yeah. That's what I told James. I was, James was sitting there, and I'm, I'm explaining to him, like, yeah, they're making some more shots now, but St. John's isn't exactly not getting what they want. And so they mm-hmm. actually lost a point in this whatever stretch I was trying to explain to him. And I'm like, that, to me, it was more of a, hey, they're not giving up, but St. John's isn't exactly um, – you know, missing, which maybe that was uh, prophetic on my part because then I think they what? They they missed like their last – they made only one of their last like 10 or 11, 12 threes or something like that. I mean, then they went ice cold. And then that's what, you know, when Max trying to figure out if he's going to double down low um, and try to clog up the lane because those guys can get buckets going. Like you said, Joey, like some of those guys, they just – they're almost automatic when they, uh, you know, turn it on and, and hit the lane to – to get to the rim um you know so you you want them to take those outside shots and you know if it turns around and they make 16 threes like providence did against st john's then whatever you know and if they make 15 threes like butler did against villanova i guess you gotta take that um but you know they didn't their averages kind of averaged out and we just kind of kept plugging away it's like that old dana altman you know up five down five up ten down ten just keep swinging away and they did, and I think that that was what I took away from it was they could have folded. You know, we heard a lot after the Seton Hall thing on Twitter about, oh, this team's weak or soft or we don't have that kind of, you know, that fight that you you, you see those guys in New Jersey. They, they all play with a huge chip on their shoulder, and it's very loud, right? Angel, Delgado, those guys, they, they, uh, they're very emotive when they play. I mean, I thought it was hilarious. That when Kyrie and Marcus, who clearly were not on the same page with that last possession, Kyrie thought Marcus was going to shoot it. Marcus took a play out of Tyler Clement's playbook and took Mm -hmm. Kyrie's guy away from him physically, passed Kyrie the ball. Kyrie's like, oh, shit, shoots it, makes it. And then they're laughing, you know, when they're coming back down the next trip after the foul. They're joking out there. And I think that that was great to see because I think had that not gone the way it did, then I think that throws another – um, well, first, you lose a home game in the Big East. You're not going to be able to really do that too many times because you still have Xavier coming to town. You still have Villanova coming to town. You still have Seton Hall coming to town. And Marquette, who has our number. Um, so I think that that was good to just see them be able to avoid that. The other thing I liked, not to just go kind of crazy on the mic here, but um, and my dad and I kind of got into an argument about it on the way home. Tyshawn right. Alexander clearly yeah. made a couple – poor decisions, uh, had a couple poor turnovers, you know, one of the best looking free throw shots you'll ever see, but he misses the front end, like some of those things, but Mac stayed with him. I thought that was a huge, I thought that was a huge, oh my God, are you kidding? Yeah, totally un-Mac-like, 
But I thought that that was a great situation for Tyshawn because now he's got that yeah. under his belt. You know, that that's coming off two games of back-to-back double-figure scoring for Davion. And Davion didn't exactly set the world on fire early in the no, game either. No, really, he really struggled, yeah. Right, he yeah. really struggled. So to so to, to go with Tyshawn, to let him ride that out, you know, it's almost like those last couple breaks, every time there was a break, he kind of kept peeking over to the scorer's table to see if Davion was coming back in or if maybe they go with something else. I know Marcus brought the ball up in one of those last couple possessions and they had Tyshawn kind of off the side, which that's fine. Um, but I thought that that was pretty big for – it's a little thing, but I thought that was pretty big for. And my dad's like, "No, he should have benched him. Too many mistakes, blah, blah, blah. you know, whatever." <laughs> but that's just because my dad hates turnovers, and seventeen turnovers is a lot to overcome, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So to see Especially Tyshawn get that, what? Especially on a team against a team that feasts off them. Oh, they, yeah, right. I mean, they, they, the part of their game plan is like we got to force turnovers. We're not going to score. Like, that's yeah, I mean, Brody. I thought Brody discussed it pretty well with Marcus on the on Bishop's, you know, interviews last night and Brody's interview last night, I think, you know, that's, they can, because of their athleticism and their length, they can take a lot of risks um, and that they usually turn those risks that are successful into points. And, you know, to have the Jays get outscored in fast break points like they did and the points off turnovers in favor for for St. John's was just enormous. But, you know, I thought, again, all of those things being said, the fact that Max stuck with Tyshawn in that spot, I think it's only going to pay huge dividends um, for Tyshawn's growth here in the Big East play. And the last thing I'll add was I was on Mitchell uh, Ballack's ass for some of his lack, uh, lack of what seemed to be just kind of telegraphed passes, right? Like St. John's was not fooled with where he was going with the ball, made a couple of mistakes, but he turned right around. I don't know if you guys watched it, but him – um, undersized, but trying to front a couple of the St. John's uh, players in the post, trying to deny entry. I mean, he worked his tail off in a couple of very crucial possessions where they were clearly yep. trying to get down there, and he fought and scraped and clawed to 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 make up for. You know, it's not even right; it's not apples to apples, but for what he seemed to struggle with offensively last night. I thought he did a really great job of trying to make it up for it, at least on those kind of critical mano e mano defensive uh, positions. I didn't take a look at how well he switched off of things or how he was, you know, coming, uh, catching guys through, coming off their cuts and stuff. But when he had to do some dirty work, he did it, and he he did it well enough that it completely negated what St. John's was trying to do on that side of the court and ended up forcing some long threes that they missed. We rebound, we go down and that 18 to two run, you know, kind of is what it is. So those were big yep. takeaways for me last night, other than the fact that like Marcus is cold blooded and, you know, Kyrie can just do yeah. what he do. So. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, the, no, that's a good point. You brought up about Mitch's defense in the post, because that was one of the keys to really the win, the comeback, because, they were essentially they switched up the ball screen coverage to kind of take away that, that make those you know those threes a little bit more difficult, um, but they were giving up that post up with Marvin Clark second. Um, yeah, you kind of like bodying Marcus and uh, Mitch down low. You know, and Creighton was kind of like waiting for <laughs> that was their first adjustment. So the second adjustment what they were waiting for was like, all right, as soon as they start feeding Clark in the post and start exploiting that matchup then we'll have to switch up things again and they just never exploited that matchup so Creighton had like an adjustment they just left in their back pocket like you know that they might have to use for later but 
Um, they didn't they didn't put it on film because St. John's never went to that never went to Clark in the post. They didn't really. And I think it's you know partly because of the way Foster and uh, Balak fronted that thing and made it like not a high percentage entry pass and. Um, you know, you, you have the length advantage, you have the size advantage, but, you know, you also do on the catch. So it's like, do you really even have a layup at that point after you get the ball in there? Mm-hmm. Um, so their, their ball denial in fronting that post up was really Creighton's gamble in the second half. That was the thing that they were like, look, we're going to give St. John's this. It'll take them a while to notice it, but if once they notice it, they want to switch things up again. But they just never did. Shocking. I swear to God, all he did all night was just hold his arms out. Like he was like trying to dry his armpits <laughs> off or something. Yeah. Oh, oh man. His face, like his face turned like a strawberry red. Like he was like, what is yeah. going on? I would go. love, I would love to be a fly on the wall with him and Mitch Richmond though in, in practice, right? Like yeah. how much of, how much of what they're doing right now is Mitch doing it? You know, I, I, I assume he's part of the Dana Altman coaching tree, even though he never – I don't think he worked underneath Dana, but obviously that's that connection, right? Dana mm-hmm. gets Mitch, uh, coached him a little bit, but I don't know. That's just like a little offhanded thing because I kind of always forget Mitch was on that staff until their you know, announcers at the scorer's table are reading off the staffs. And so right. I would just love to know what that interaction's like because, I mean <laughs> – well, it's one of those things. Like, did you listen? Did you watch their presser at all? Like when Mullen came in, like a St. John's T-shirt and you know dress pants and loafers and things like that. Like, no, no. Yeah, so like we, I think John was the one that asked him about switching the zone late. And I mean, good God, he just like he's like, you know, if you're playing man, man to man defense, right? You're kind of always in the zone because your weak side help is because your weak side help is off the three point line and in the paint. And he's like, so you're kind of always in the zone anyway. What the like, fuck? What are you talking about, man? What are you talking about, like, dude? You, this... No, you really switched to a zone defense. Like, you got out of your man. Like, well, why did you do that? Did you... Like, John's question was, did you think about going to it sooner? Because it caused a few turnovers and, like, Creighton had to think about it a little bit. Like, it was a yeah, you know, a different look for him. Like, you only, but you only went to it in the final minute, you know? So, mm-hmm. and he was like, well, what did you think about going to it sooner? You know, and he's like, I mean, really, when you're in man, you're kind of always in zone anyway if you're doing it right. It's like, what? Yeah. Okay. Not, thanks for that. Thanks for that non-answer. Consider there. me not shocked by the non-answer. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah, you're technically right, but no. Dude, so you're. So my wife and I. You're never gonna be in a zone because you're stretched out the whole time. Like, was, that's not true. So a couple of us are talking about this, and we have no, you know, offhand knowledge about it or anything, right? But you, where we are, if you pay attention, you see how Mac who's a real great shoot-the-shit guy, interacts yeah. with, obviously, guys like Coach Cooley, who he's really close with, uh, Willard and Chris Mack, you know, guys that, I mean, they're salty on the sidelines, but Mack and those mm. guys seem to... It's to all about public. being competitive, though. Like, they understand it. You know, yeah, like, but so they they yeah. understand it, and they handle themselves different ways. People like Chris Mack act like assholes, whatever. I, like, I, like, I know you like to act for him, but I love... I like Chris Mack, just because he's like... He's really competitive, but like when the yeah, you know, when the clock at zero and he's just got to have a conversation with you about the game, like he's great. Like, He'll do I it, love... right? So uh, yeah, I think he's awesome. So those guys all, those guys all have to fight and claw, work their way up to be a head coach. They get a job in the Big East. You know, they they have a lot that they've 
um, put in, sacrificed, put in the time, yeah. right? They yeah. they've done yeah. it, and then a dude like Chris Mullen just shows up and he's like, "I'm the head coach of St. John's. What's up?" Like, I'm the most popular dude on campus. Hey. Do you feel like, he, like I don't know, this is such an extrapolation outward, but I mean, what's that like? Like, do you get a sense of how the the other coaches interact with a guy like that that they would seem to really have other than they're both head coaches of a big east basketball program like do they have anything in common with this guy like do they that's you know it's interesting dude like i don't see i i do like to watch coach interactions i haven't seen it much with mullen or anybody ever really no ever that's my that's my point there's nothing there sometimes you'll see it like with it won't necessarily be head coach to head coach or like top assistant to top assistant but like um before the Providence game, like you obviously know Mac and Cooley are tight, but I mean, before the Providence game, like D Rock and Cooley are having a long conversation. Like, yeah, um, you know, you can see there's some rapport there between like the coaching staffs, right, as a whole. You know what I mean? But with St. John's, it was just like there's there's a definite disconnect. I it's think, like a because... there's like an ocean between them and the Jays right now. Well, because I don't know what like I think Mullen is still kind of learning how to be a coach like on the fly type of deal. Like, yeah. I honestly, I don't want to disparage him too much, like by saying he's like a face, but he kind of just is the face of St. John's, and you know he's kind of like learning on the fly how to be a Division One basketball coach. Because well, sure, because uh, he hasn't worked his way up that route. He doesn't know yeah, what that like is. He's never, never coached before at all. So like, you can't was, blame him. I mean, he was he's a front office guy. Like, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but whereas even like a guy like that we're going to see this weekend, another dream teamer, right, Pat Ewing. Yeah, yeah. He, no, Ewing put in his time. Like, he put in his time. He was on a benches. Yeah. So yep. I would even just like, like to know what that's like. Like they have that common ground there that they've that they've done that. Um they've I think I think Ewing uh, and Mullen probably have it just because of the former the buds, right for sure. Conference. Like it's probably there it's probably already established there, but as far as like you know, in the coaching fraternity goes, like I don't think there's anything yeah, like that with Mullen, and I'd, I'd be surprised if he had it with anyone in the league. To be yeah, honest, yeah, for like, sure. It doesn't feel like he's, um, it doesn't feel like he's part of that. Like or he tries to be, you know, he comes out uh, when the game's ready to roll. He leaves when it's ended. Like he doesn't, you know, I don't see him do many interviews. Like where he's talking hoops with a, uh, you know, a big time basketball mind. And they're bouncing ideas off of each other. Like he's very soft spoken, but he's got that New York accent. Like. It's it's got like a touch of um, swag to it, like where he's like, yeah, I I know the game, but you know the strategy of it is not something that you you see him going off on, like where if you ask Mac a strategic question, like well, for instance, like the example last night where the Mullen was last question was where he's talking about how man is technically zoned, <laughs> and you're like, and you get this look on your face like what, and you're like trying not to show him that you're looking like that, but you're like, yeah. In your head, you're like, "This doesn't, dude. No, you are not. That's not. I mean." But then you, but then you have to question yourself then, because then you're like, "Oh, it's a dream team guy. Does he know what he's talking about?" <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, but you know, he knows the game. But it's like, dude, what, what, what did you just say? Um, and then so Matt comes in, he gives his opening statement, and then the first thing after the opening statement is questions for the players. So immediately I asked a question for the players, but it was it was strategic. It was about the the defensive adjustment in the second half on the ball screens. And Mac interrupted. He's like, "I'll, I'll get that one because um, I can uh, break it down simpler than they can." And he just started talking the strategy. Like he's, done, you know, he just broke it down for you in, right. in terms you could understand, like terms that made sense. Um, <laughs> like, 
And so, like, but that's just like he can talk hoops like that in on the fly. That's why you know. So it's 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 definitely different. Like it's not. Yeah. He's not. Right. Like Matt can do that easily, whereas Mullen, you're like, it feels like you're pulling teeth to even get him to talk in the first place. So, Crazy. which is ironic considering he's always talking during the game. <laughs> right. So. I think we put yeah, Joey. You know, I think I, we I put think Joey to sleep. Uh, well, Carter started crying, so. <laughs> Brutal. I don't know if you, I don't know if you could hear that. I I did a little bit. Was, I thought that he was. was crying you were, he was crying while you were talking. So I thought that was Tariq Owen still crying for you know whatever reason <laughs> last night. After they yeah, his block shot kind of changed the game though. When he blocked Ronnie and then talked, talked a little shit. Yeah, right. Like that kind of like lit the fire under the whole. I felt it. Whole city of Omaha essentially because that was the game changer. Pretty but that's much. good, man. Like you need that again. That's what I'm talking about. Like with that back down, right? Or uh, unable to finish, not able to claw back. If you give up that lead or you cough that up, I mean, we kind of we kind of talk about like is that a narrative, right? You lose second half leads you know x y well, it's Z narrative, times. It's narrative until it's not right right <laughs> you know but I mean? you know like, there are plenty there are plenty of dana altman teams that lost leads and second half it clawed back and won there are plenty like it just it's not a thing for this staff or i mean i don't know i just i i was glad to see him get a little feisty last night i felt like that situation yeah. with ronnie was was part of it. I think Martin posterizing that fool, getting the foul and flexing on him was part of it. You know, I, like that. I like to see that stuff. You know, for sure. I mean, you're looking for any reason to be. There's only so much you can cheer for when the other team is constantly putting the ball through the hoop, right? I mean, <laughs> right. I imagine that's. I imagine as you're sitting there in the stands, it's probably difficult when Justin Simon just dunks on the whole 402 area code, and you're like, yeah. And you're trying to like get over the shell shock of that moment, which was like a shocking moment. Everybody on press row was like, "Oh my god!" Because it happens right in front of you, and yeah. you know, people are like, I like, can't believe this crowd like, is so oh, quiet. I'm like, blood off their faces, and you're like, "All right, let's go." Yeah, that, like that was violent. Yeah, and I mean, you I'm, know, what are you supposed to do the stretch. You know, the last four minutes of the first half when the Jays couldn't get a stop, and then all they kept doing was either turning the ball over or missing a three. It's like. Right. Everybody in their right mind would want to cheer, but I mean, what are we supposed to do at that point? You know, like there's not really much going on worth putting two hands together for. So, you know, you kind of just have to, the player, I know we, the coaches and the players, everybody during the interviews after the game, or they'll say it in the paper or whatever. It's like, oh, you know, the crowd really helped us tonight. Dana used to say, you know, oh, T. Scott, the people were great, you know, but it's almost like. You need players to be able to feed off certain moments. You need players, and Kyrie talked about it. He said, you know, the the walkthrough, the shoot-around was lackadaisical. Or I think he used the term lollygagging. And mm-hmm. um, I think finally it just kind of caught Which him. is normal. Like, it's not like a – Yeah. It's not one of those things where, like, all oh, the coaching staff is losing the team, the players are just no. like – That happens with 18 to 22-year-olds throughout the season. Like, there's up, there's ebb and flow. Sometimes sure. you just don't have it that day. Like your concentration sure. level, your your brain is in a different place. Like Nick talked about it in the Blue Jay beat. He's like, you know, your focus isn't always going to be on ball for that no. that two to three months it needs to be. Um, can you figure out how to sustain, how to get a W when you're not at your best? Sure. That was one of those moments last night. Like St. John's is a good basketball team. They're very improved. They probably are an NCAA tournament bubble team. Um, they have very good pieces and that was a shorthanded st john's oh yeah like right 
Shamari Pons was not 100%. Marcus Levet wasn't, you know, he was in street clothes. Like, that's a good basketball team. Um, so I don't think Creighton should be apologizing for that performance last night. You're no. going to have to, like, I hope everybody's ready for the next 15 or so games yeah. going into the Jeez. tournament. Like, there's going to be quite a few dogfights where you're like, where you feel like you can question this and question that. It's a one-possession, two-possession game down the stretch. Like, there's going to be plenty of that. Like, people need to kind of get their um, mental endurance up for that because there's not going to be a lot of, like, creating up 40 in the second half type of deal going on the rest of the way. Like, it's going to be a scrap the rest of the way. No, and I think that that's when we talked about positive things that stuck out to me earlier. I mean, I just think that one negative is, man, the turnovers. Like, (laughs) you can't do that when you're going up against this conference night in and night out. Right, they'll just yeah. feast on you. So, um, you know, I thought that maybe it was a apropos. I think John wrote in the in the in the paper, you know, about Creighton's pace, but playing under control while while going quick. Um, yeah, that was maybe a little bit ill-timed, based on how things went last night. But you know, yeah, hopefully uh... that's just an aberration because you just if you're gonna if you're gonna play that pace, you're gonna play that rate. Yeah, you gotta. I mean, you gotta take control of the ball too. And I know it's a, a difficult thing to swing, and that it's kind of a uh, an art, you know, to it. But um, taking care of the basketball is going to be uh, of prime importance because, like you said, a lot of these games are just going to be a couple possessions here mm-hmm. and there, and you just can't be giving them away. Yeah, I feel like I feel like the end of the game is probably something you can circle, like where they turned it over a couple times against the zone. Um, and missed the front end of a free throw. Like St. John's didn't take advantage of that because they missed a free throw on their end. And yeah, Creighton still got like the stops they needed. Um, then you know Ronnie hit a big three, Kyrie hit a big three. Like Creighton kind of, you know, saved themselves from that moment. But there are probably like four or five teams in this league, and uh, St. John's is one of them. When you're playing at their place, um, that if you do that at the end of the game against those teams, you're losing. Like that's not a win. So, in in while it's not like oh man, Creighton was the tougher team. That's why they won. That's true, but there are also there are all there were also mistakes at the end of that game that will cost them against um, different competitions because they'll know how to take advantage of that. Like you can't you can't do that to Villanova. You can't do that to Xavier. Um, you probably can't do that to Marquette. Like they'll light you up for three threes in a row if you give them three possessions like that. So. Right. Um, you know there are teams where that's an L, um, that 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 execution on the stretch for sure. Mm-hmm. What do we need to I know? Mean, I, 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 what were you say? I think that I think that anyway, like that's something that, um, you know, that they'll they'll still probably go over and film. Like, here's what you do in this situation instead of just giving the ball away for crying out loud. Right. What. What do we need to know heading into uh, the boom echo cyclone thing that the Jays apparently are, are avoiding? I don't really know whether an issue, but not yeah, like anybody it's, shows it's up tomorrow. So, not like anybody shows up to the games at whatever that yeah. building's called now. Was the Verizon Center? What is it now? Some other random sponsored yeah. building. Um, Probably. What, I mean, I texted John this morning, and he said it, everything kind of avoided DC. So good. Maybe that maybe they won't have to deal with it going. No on. reason then for the fans not to come out in droves for the Blue Jays. Uh, <laughs> eleven a.m. Yeah, eleven a.m. Central Time tip against the Hoyas, who you know 
famously scheduled the Sisters of the Poor for four straight weeks in the non-conference, uh, collected a bunch of dubs, and now I think, what, one and two? Oh, and three? Where are they at now in the biggest? One and two. One and two, right. They, so, they, won, at, they won at DePaul, <laughs> right. lost, lost at Marquette, and um, collapsed against Butler. Yeah, right. So, so, I mean, I don't know. Have you seen them play yet? I don't, I don't know what your take is on them. I think, you know, I, I think they're a better basketball team than um, – I think they could have beaten last. I think they're a better basketball team than they were last year, which is something I didn't think I'd be able to say considering their roster turnover and things like that. But sure, I think I think Ewing is a good coach. I think he's going to get that get that machine running. Oh, and I mean it's just you well, know, eventually. I I agree. I mean it's a sleep. Anytime a team with that pedigree from a branding perspective that you know can go in and recruit just by name uh, and the resources that they probably have, I think that's definitely one of those sleeping giant type scenarios. Um, you know, NCAA tournament success notwithstanding, I mean, we all can point to that, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how our bigs, I mean, that's the one thing that you always know Georgetown's going to send at you, right, are athletes. And they've mm-hmm. got some, uh, the Govan's a, a, a proven guy down low. Uh, Derrickson obviously can do a lot too athletic. But, I mean, to me, those are the two guys that obviously everybody's going to circle um, but when you're talking about Martine and how he was able to kind of meet that athleticism and the quickness from St. John's bigs, I'll be interested to see how our guys down low can, can hang and, and see just what, um, you know, I guess I haven't seen him play to see if they still run a bunch of JT threes action or if they got rid of a bunch of that kind of evolved Princeton style stuff. I don't really know what they run. So I'm just curious they, uh, to tune in they, anyway. They opened up, they opened it up a lot more than they did with JT three. They, sure. they like to do it. Um, but they also like to run a lot of stuff through Govan in the post. Sure. That's the adjustment, like where Govan would be like initiating offense from 19 feet away. Now he's in the low block. Okay. So like a traditional big man. So, um, yeah, it, they, it's not like totally scrapping the Princeton, but, um, they're not shooting into peach it's baskets not, or anything? Not, yeah, it's not like 90% or anything like that. It's not. They don't have anything near the type of actions that they had to defend last year. So okay. it's an entirely different different type of scout. But they still bring people at you. I mean, um, you mentioned Marcus Derrickson. Like, that's, a, that's an interesting matchup because he's kind of like a, you know, a Desi Rodriguez type where he's a bigger body. Um, he can step out and bang threes at you all day. Uh, but he can also take you in the low block if you have a mismatch, and you know um, that's I'm assuming that's Kyrie's assignment. That's going to be a challenge. An challenge for him because those are the type of probably those are the type of mismatches that will probably give um, Kyrie the most difficulty to defend just because of the physicality um, and the size mismatch. Like he can bother those little shifty guards all day long um, with his wingspan and things like that. Um, but the bigger matchups, those are the ones that he has to. You know, he has to work really hard to make to shut those guys down. And that's um, and where Jerry Jackson is every bit of that type of player. So sure, and so that's where you know you project and you wonder if that's going to affect uh, knowing that Kyrie knows how instrumental his defensive <laughs> effort is in those positions. How much, if at all, will that affect his offensive production? You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just. I haven't seen much go well for the Jays the last couple of years in D.C., so maybe it's kind of like, you know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. But to me, I think, 
you know, you're two and one, and on paper it looks like a road game that you can pull off in the Big East. Yeah. But I just yeah. they'll be favored. They'll be yeah, favored. They'll be, be favored. favored. Like they were the last couple of years, right? And it's just like, come on, guys, let's yeah. get it together here. It's easier yeah. said than done for a guy that's never played basketball outside of sixth grade. But <laughs> um, I'm hoping that this team now they've had a couple different. Uh, they've had a couple different scenarios kind of been thrown at them um, here in the start of the Big East. So I'm hoping maybe that those uh, different experiences maybe could pay dividends when they head out here because it's it's not going to be raucous, right? Like the like the Rock was, um, but they'll no. certainly be facing some guys that aren't slouches uh, by any by any stretch. So yeah, this is going to be a really interesting test on the. On the backboards because like yeah. Georgetown, can go, Georgetown can go and get it. Like Govan's a beast, averaging you know he's a double double, uh, legit efficient offensive. Like he's a double double, like where you have to worry about him on both ends of the floor. Whereas Delgado is not like where he can't hurt. He can't hurt you at different spots on the floor. He just hurts you in the low block. Mm-hmm. Uh, Govan can take you out and hit some threes. Um, he's shooting thirty five percent on twenty attempts. So, I mean, he's capable. He's good at the free throw line. He's really good inside. Um, he cleans up on the glass really well, so he's an absolute load. I'm really interested to see this matchup between he and Martin and Toby and Ronnie, like that whole front line and that whole front line battle. I mean, you look at Creighton. I don't know if you've noticed like Creighton Stevens and rebounding like rebounding percentage, but like, what does it feel like? What did you wear at the Providence game? Yeah. Yep. Okay, so like, what does it feel like Creighton has done on the backboards defensively? Like, how many do you feel like you've seen a lot of second chance opportunities for those? in these last two games for the opponent? No, I mean, I I think that the St. John's game, especially, I think Brody brought it up too, after the game yesterday, they they know they have to get back on defense because the Jays are so quick up the court that that's how they, have, that's how they get into what they want to get into. And so yeah. St. John's sending but, guys but, back, that but, helps. And here's where I'm calling timeout on that because, like, that was also the same deal last year. And Creighton was last in the league in defensive rebounding percentage. So, like, that sure. – I understand the whole correlation between not committing people to the backboards versus uh, – and then trying to, like and, – and sacrificing the transition D. So that was also the case last year, and Creighton had a, a bullet of a point guard. that as soon as he got it, it was gone. So sure. that's not – I'm not totally poo-pooing that correlation. I understand where it's coming from. But, I mean, Creighton is – First in the league in defense rebounding percentage, they've literally turned that completely around. Um, and through three games, their defense rebounding percentage in conference play is better than it was in non-conference play. So, how does that make any sense? Uh, I mean, to me, it's play? to me, it's personnel. Like, I know this might make yeah. Clint Parks upset, but it's not exactly like <laughs> Ronnie is a worse rebounder than Cole was, right? No. And you no. said it very clearly. For as great as the upside of Justin Patton is, Martin's a better rebounder. And, um, you know, Kyrie's more confident. He's getting boards. I think I think Marcus is – I haven't looked at his stats, but I think Marcus has picked up a couple boards here and there where I think normally he would have been leaking out too. Um, and then it certainly helps to have point guards that are not 5, 8, or 9, or whatever it was, right? Able to yeah. – Maurice got his fair share of caroms, you know, and bounces his way. But, no, I think – uh, and that's so again, between, between between Marcus and Kyrie, they're averaging eight rebounds a game between those two. Sure, which I think that's, that's fine. That's yeah, yeah, and you're getting you're getting fifteen, nearly sixteen out of Martin and Ronnie. 
And that's uh, you're, you're getting six from Mitch and Tyshawn. Uh, Toby manages from, to grab Toby, some boards six, here and there. Six from, six from Toby and Davion. Like, yeah, I mean, you're getting old. I mean, it's a gang everybody mentality. I mean, you look at so Creighton grabbed sixty nine percent of the defensive rebounds against Seton Hall. So obviously that's a that's that's kind of where they were last year as a team mm-hmm. uh, when they were last in the conference and against Providence and. St. John's combined, their defensive rebounding percentage was 87.2. Hmm. That is flat-out absurd. Right. Especially when you look at Providence, the team who's currently uh, third in the league in offensive rebounding percentage. So they go and get it. They don't just, you know, hoist one up and then run back across half court as quick as they can. They try to bully you down there and get second-chance points and all that, like, Creighton shut that down from from Providence. They shut it down really against St. John's, which I know St. John's wasn't trying to get many offensive rebounds. But still. They only ended up with two, but still. To grab 87% of your defensive rebounds against two really athletic front lines in the Big East, that's a that's a statement. So Agreed. So, yeah, but there's going to be a real test on Saturday, like you said, because that's a different type of rebounding team. That's sure. probably good. It's probably a good segue for us. I know we've got about 30 minutes worth of interview with Tyler Clement. I know you're caught up with him. Yep. And he, um, he talks a little bit about Georgetown in this interview that you guys will hear soon. Um, but any other kind of highlights before we get into this interview with Tyler and, and wrap up the show for the night? I mean, from him or just um, from what you're expecting, uh, for your perspective? Not really. You want to talk about, do you want to talk about Flan's kids at all? Or? Gosh, I do. I really we can, do. We can go um, out. Yeah, why don't you go off on that a little bit because uh, they are looking for their first 4-0 start in Big East play. Uh, right. They've got, you know, they, it's always nice to start conference play or uh, with a with a win over a ranked opponent where they were able to take down Villanova after losing a, a back-and-forth game against Florida State. At least the pace was back-and-forth, another ranked team. So, um, yeah, not to anybody's surprise, I don't think that, um, Jim Flannery has his team prepared, but I don't know if even um, those closest to the program, Matt, that you would say that you would expect them to have started this conference season off four and zero, like they have a chance to this weekend. Yeah, so I mean, I think you would probably think they've exceeded some expectations, considering the fact that they found when you look at Olivia Elger, Elger who's been um, an amazing kind of. What she's what she's become out of what was essentially uh, very lack of playing time as a freshman, and then redshirted last year when Marissa Janney was healthy again. Um, for her to just hit the ground running, I mean, she gets, she scores twelve points off the bench against Wichita State. It's a it's the game winner essentially, mm-hmm. uh, the game ceiling jump shot. Injures her knee on the play, has surgery, misses what was it? Next one, two, three, five games. Six games, really. And then she missed the Drake game, too. So misses the next six games. Creighton loses a close one at South Dakota State, uh, a close one in Vegas to Washington, both one, one two possession games. Um, loses by nine to number five UCLA in a game that they got to a really good start against them. You know, probably a game, who knows what type of impact she could have made in that one. So mm-hmm. three single digit games um, all the way from home without. Uh, the probably the fourth what has turned out to be the fourth option offensively, uh, and then she comes back, plays a little bit against Omaha, um, 
but she was really big against South Dakota State, really big against Florida State. And, you know, in Biggie's play, she's outscored Villanova, Georgetown, and Seton Hall. Like, coming off the bench, she's outscored their benches by herself Crazy. in those three games. So she's been a huge part of their success. They're 6-1 and one when she plays. It's just a completely different dynamic when she is available. Um, so, yeah, they look like an NCAA tournament team right now. It's it's There's a lot in front of them. I think the league is a lot. When you look at the league this year and kind of the RPIs of a lot of the teams, it's uh, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for Creighton to kind of enhance that resume as they go along. Um, they have a tough one tomorrow night at St. John's, who's currently 0-3 in league play. So hmm. that's good. That's a, and that's a St. John's team that had a really good non-conference. So I don't – I mean, if there's – they're probably going to face a really desperate group. Sure. And those are normally – those are normally grinders of games anyway, if you're known – if you're familiar oh, yeah. with Creighton women and St. John's women battles, that they're usually in the 50s at being generous. Um, right. You know, their final possession games. So – that's going to be a real battle tomorrow night. And then they got to come back and, oh, hello, Marquette and DePaul are waiting for you as soon as you return home for all your troubles. Uh, so this is kind of a grind of a stretch for them. Um, but right now they're, they're, you know, they're off to a really good start. Three double-digit wins in league play, all uh, one against a really good Villanova team. Um, that kind of enhanced their resume, put them, put a really, I mean, Villanova struggled a little bit now. This conference play started, but it was a big resume booster for Creighton. They have a South Dakota State game that's really big for their resume. So, you know, right now they're a top 25 RPI team. So if they can keep that rolling and, you know, I don't think they're going to go 16-2 and two in this league again. I don't think anybody will, to be honest. But um, they're, 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 they're really rolling um, in a good way to build that resume to where they won't have to be as stressed out maybe for the Big East tournament. Now there's a long way to go, but. Sure. You know, when you see the way Jalen Agnew's playing, when you see the way Audrey Faber, I mean, Audrey Faber scores five points against Seton Hall. They win by nearly 20. Right. I mean, that I if you told me that was going to happen at any point in any game this season, I would be like, that's a, that's a loss. That's a loss, right. I didn't know I didn't know what Olivia was going to be able to do. Mm-hmm. You know, but she's 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 become a consistent fourth option for them. Off the bench, uh, she's tough to guard one-on-one. She's She can break down and get a bucket. She's left-handed, so that's difficult for teams. To deal with because they're used to guarding everything backwards. And I'm not, you know, um, I'm not fluent in in Flan's offense. But when we talk about fourth options, it's not like the fourth option on a Doug McDermott team where Doug was option one, two, and three, and then there's the fourth person exactly. that might chip in. Flan's offense and the way that they flow, that fourth option's getting a lot of touches and a lot of good exactly. opportunities to score. And so that's very important to have depth all the way down there and be able to count on double digits from your fourth option in that spot, right? Yeah, because anytime, because if they go with the small lineup and put, say, say Audrey's the five, Jalen's the four, Sydney, you can move Sydney off the ball and let Olivia play point guard. Um, that's four options to where if that ball is moving like it should and the people are moving like they should, even if the shot clock's winding down, you have you have four people who can go get a bucket at any point. Um, and you don't have to worry about trying to find your primary option, like where you have to find a Marcus Foster or find a Doug McDermott, like you said, or right. find a Marissa Janney because we need a desperation athletic move at the last second. Like, there's there's capable pieces all over the floor. Um, so, I think, you know, from a scouting perspective, it's got to be really tough for people to kind of game plan what you're going to take away because around those four pieces that kind of can get theirs, you got Maya Melman, who's a really good spot-up shooter, Bailey Norby, who can stretch the floor, Kylie Brown and Allie Green, who have proven they can kind of hit that 10- to 12-footer if you're trying to like cheat off of a big, 
um, and help out on the on double team some of the other people. Uh, Brooke Kissinger has range, even though she struggled a little bit this year. She's she can shoot it well in practice. Um, they just got a lot of pieces around those those core studs that you know can can bury you if you just decide that you're going to try to cheat off and um, say and dare people to beat you. Like they have a lot of options. So, so we... go ahead. Yeah. So like, I, yeah, I think this is it's a really important. If Creighton gets out of this next three games with the winning record, that's humongous because I think their legs are going to be, um, you know, really from a physical standpoint and a mental standpoint, they're going to be drained after this stretch. But if they can get through that two and one, that's going to be huge for their resume going forward. They might even put themselves into like lock position where it's just their their NCAA tournament spot is like there for a collapse essentially. Um, based on what they'll be able to do. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. So, you know, we forced, fast forward now. This is my favorite, like, it's my sneaky favorite time of the sports year because conference mm-hmm. basketball games are all taking place. You've got, you know, battles every night from 6 o'clock central time to even tonight, you know, going past the 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock hour. Every night you can watch some hoops, and every night everybody, you know, oh, you start to hear the bubbles, you start to hear the – uh, bracketologies and stuff but you know we're two months out from the end of the regular season for men's hoops um and knocking on the door of the women's basketball tournament in the big east like what do you see two ncaa tournament teams right now in your in your educated opinion or, or where are we looking at you know uh, as far as creating men and women you mean yes sorry oh, i didn't know if you're talking about big east or not sorry oh, yeah um yeah i mean I think here's what I'll say. From the men's perspective, it's more of the eye test, definitely. Like their their resume, um, their resume. I feel like still needs to be built because you've got a good win over a UCLA team, but is that is that just a win over a bubble team? You know, is UCLA going to be a lock on Selection Sunday? Like, how how good of a win is that? Northwestern it looks dreadful right now. Like that is not the win. Yeah, everybody thought it was like they don't look like a good basketball team at all at this point. I don't know, I don't know if they spent like a whole offseason reading their press clippings or if every single player on the roster had an offseason injury and they just didn't get better at all. <laughs> but they like they just don't look good. They don't. They look like a bad basketball team that's not going to be relevant in about a month. Two, like two more weeks, they'll probably be irrelevant. I think. Yeah. At the rate at the rate they're playing because they're just dreadful. Um, so. Their res, you know, it means like creating men's resume is just a little flat. It's, it's, but it's got. But the thing that you like about them is they look really good. Their metrics are really good. Their efficiency is really good. They like pass all the high tests and the, you know, the metrics you want to see out of an NCAA tournament team. Um, I think they're projected to lose like four more games the rest of the regular season on Ken Palm. So that's a twenty-three and seven record going into the Big East tournament. Right. Which, I mean, that's but a I mean, lock for sure. Right. Exactly. So I mean, right now they're trending towards being a lock on selection Sunday as an at-large. So, but I mean, you still have the whole road in front of you as far as grab that W, grab that W. Like there's a lot to prove still. So it's all kind of in front of them. The women are a little bit more ahead of that curve right now. You look at their RPI is 25 on Warren Nolan. Um, And if you look at the, like, I don't know if you noticed, they have this new criteria for uh, resumes where they have a, a new, it's like they call them team sheets or whatever, and there's new groups as far as where their wins go and things like that. Like okay. It's not just top 50 or top 75. Like They distinguish them 
road home in neutral. If you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sure. So the um, the women's team sheet right now has uh, one group one win being Villanova. Um, then you have the losses to Florida State and UCLA, and then Group Two features wins over South Dakota State, Nebraska, um, the Seton Hall win. Um, if they win tomorrow against St. John's, I believe that will be. If they win tomorrow at St. John's, what is St. John's RPI at? Let me see here. St. John's RPI is fifty-one, so it'll be a road road win over a top fifty-one team. So that will be a Group One win if they win tomorrow. Hmm. Um, so that good, that good makes them two and two in Group One, one and three and two in Group Two. So like that resume is really strong right now. Um, so right now you look at the Creighton women and they're solidly a lock if the season ended the day for the NCAA tournament. Um, and I think, let me see what their predictions, what Warren Nolan has for their predictions. Um, sorry, a little clunky. Good. Um, let's see. really good right now yeah i think uh when you when you uh try to break it all down as far as who's going to do what and you look at what you've done so far you feel good about what flans group has done and uh right now i think they're looking at it looks like 19 and 9 is what they're projected to finish on 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 the rest of their schedule so that gives them 12 was that 12 and 6 in league play right yeah yeah 12 and 6 in league play with uh, in a top five league. So that gives them, let me see how many top 50 wins. Yeah, I mean, then, then you have to win, what, maybe one or two in, in the conference tournament to lock your way in, essentially. I think, you know, they'll feel pretty good uh, with that, with that resume. And uh, right now it's currently trending better than that, you know. Mm-hmm. There are tough games ahead, but right now I think they like the position that they're in as far as resume goes. So I think if you ended the season today, I'd feel like there's two NCAA tournament teams on Creighton's campus right now still. That's good. That's good enough for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, that right? Yeah. All right. Well, let's um, let's go to this Tyler Clement interview. We'll let people uh, listen to what TC have to say, and then we'll let everybody get on their way and get ready to go for a quick turnaround before a, a, a brunch start for the Blue Jays on, on Saturday yeah. against Georgetown out in D.C. Matt, really appreciate it. Uh, as always, the perspective and insights you bring. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this interview with Tyler Clement. And I uh, want to thank you for all the Blue Jay beats, too, because I know people are just loving those. So um, cool. appreciate that. And uh, hope to get one of these podcasts up and going here soon. I know Joey had to drop off, but... Um, we'll get back in a, in a cadence here as things get hot and heavy over the next two months of mm-hmm. conference play. So appreciate it and appreciate everybody. Happy listening. New Year, buddy. Good yeah, to talk ha- to you. Yeah, Happy New Year, too. Uh, appreciate all you Jays fans sticking with us and um, hopefully getting ready to enjoy a, a, a feisty couple of weeks here uh, for both men's and women's basketball as they take center stage. And uh, 
And so with that, I guess we'll just go to TC here, and then after that we'll we'll call it quits. But um, for everybody at whiteandbluereview.com, appreciate you tuning in. Uh, make sure to check out the site for every update that you need and to tune into those post-game Blue Jay Beat podcasts that Matt puts together with Johnny Itawa or other you know, decorated announcers like Nick Ba, <laughs> guys that can work on Mike. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll join you next time after the Jays hopefully can pick up some dubs here pretty soon. So thanks for listening and yeah. go Jays. Good night. Good uh, good day. Talk to you again, Creighton fans. This is uh, Matt DeMarinas from White and Blue Review. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you know we've it's the Blue Jays Bites podcast. Um, after a little holiday hiatus, I'm back with one of our favorite guests, uh, Creighton senior point guard Tyler Clement, just in time for the NFL playoffs, which we'll talk about. Chiefs are getting yeah. their mojo back. No, but we're back, we're back. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll hit up on some NFL a little bit later in the, in the conversation, but for now let's uh, get started with a little Creighton St. John's recap. You guys got a big win last night in a game that – you know, you were kind of uncomfortable for, as far as styles go, for a little bit. Um, from your perspective, from your vantage point, what were some of the keys to getting yourself back in that game and, you know, getting the W? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me back on. Feels no good to be back. Uh, about last night, um, like you said, we maybe didn't play our best, but at first, and I think the key for us in the second half was getting some energy defensively. Um, not that we played terrible defensively in the first half, but especially down the stretch, we probably did in the last five minutes when they went on that run. So we were talking about it in halftime. We just needed more energy defensively like we've been playing with the last couple of games. And I think we, we really saw that when we went on our run about halfway through the second half. And I think that was the difference because once we get some stops, then that's when we can get out in transition and we were able to dictate the tempo a little bit. And so I think that was the key. And then, you know, obviously we could have done a better job taking care of the ball, but um, once we did, we were able to get good shots and solid with the ball, and that was key to our run there in the second half. It seemed like there was a few different guys that made big plays, made big shots. It was kind of like a comeback by committee, really. Mm-hmm. Um, not one person put you on the, their back the whole entire half. There was different contributions from other, a lot of different guys. What, what did you see out of Marcus last night that maybe is different than last year in a game like that? Because Mac mentioned in the post game that you know, a game like that last year, Marcus would have just, you know, tried to put everybody on his back and take some shots outside the offense and things like that. But he stayed efficient. He tried to make plays for others the whole time. And, you know, when, when the comeback was rolling, you could see that his mojo got going too. What did you see out of him that was maybe different from that type of performance last year? Yeah, I mean, like you said and like Max said last night, I mean, it's just a more mature approach from him as far as, you know, staying within the offense and not trying to do too much at different times because – We've talked about it as a team, and like you said, it's a pretty balanced attack, but especially Marcus, when, once we get down or the other team's making a run, that's when we have to trust our offense even more. And I think not only Marcus did a good job, I think we did that a good job as a team, but yeah, I mean, he, he played great last night. He had like, what, 25 points, mm-hmm. like 16 shots or something like that. And so, you know, he's very efficient and let the, let the game come to him, which is, you know, huge, because he's obviously a really talented scorer. So it's that's big for us to, for him to do that as one of our leaders. I don't know if you uh, paid attention to the post-game stuff last night or got caught up on it, but he gave you credit for the game clinching three-pointer that Taz hit in the corner. Uh, that that little dribble like, handoff in the air, that dump off yeah. where you kind of use your body yeah. as a moving screen almost. Like, what what uh, 
How much credit do you want to take for instilling that in him uh, and giving him? Well, I appreciate the shout out. Uh, he was he was telling me that before, and then I guess he said it in the press conference. But uh, I think he's just learned it because I've done that a lot to him, and they've actually started to call that a lot more the last couple of right, years. Right. Um, if you turn your body, so he did a, a good job of just kind of driving in, and it's almost just like a subtle rub screen if if you really really try to screen now they seem to call it but he did a good job and I think he was just used to me doing that to him on other people so no I appreciate the, the shout out and the respect and again that shows a guy like Marcus as our leader he wasn't you know acting like it was all him he appreciated the sharing the glory it's almost like you got a part of that win last night without even getting exactly. off the, the you know exactly. in the game but yeah contributing yeah. nonetheless yeah um the energy in the crowd last night what I mean it felt like one of the more energized mm-hmm. crowds uh of the season I I, I Probably Nebraska maybe had a little bit more juice yeah. to it, but uh, you know it didn't feel like that way to start the game. But I mean, it felt like you know coming out of the locker room when Kyrie hit that three, it felt like the crowd never really ratcheted down for that moment. They were kind of just yeah. everything you guys did positive, which turned out to be a lot after that first five minute stretch. Mm-hmm. You know they were really over enthusiastically behind you at that yeah. point. Yeah, I mean we'll need that going forward for sure. And like you said, I mean it was. It was very helpful in the second half, and they kind of sensed we were going on that run, and we, we definitely knew them. We're going to have some big games coming up uh, with more home games where, you know, we can feed off that energy. That would be huge. And so, yeah, they were they were great in the second half last night for sure. It was Martin's second half. I mean, there was a stretch there. I think he scored maybe 10 points in a row to um, get the game either tied or within one possession. Yeah. Um, he had the big dunk to put you guys up mm-hmm. through the foul. You know, St. John's is a team that, you know, they like to erase a lot of their – aggressive perimeter play with a shot blocking that can put behind it and things like that. But they only get four on you last night, which, you know, Tariq Owens averages that on his own. So, like, for them to get only four as a team. But you guys weren't afraid to go to the rim last night. Was that a was that a point of emphasis in the game plan? Were you like, look, they're gonna, they can block shots, but we can still get stuff at the rim? Yeah. You guys? Yeah, the more than anything, it's, you know, we still want to attack and just attack with smarts and under control. So, like, you saw a couple guys, I think Taz on one of the dump-offs to Tini where he came to a jump stop. No hesitation, and then got got by the guys. Jump stop. That's the things that you know you can kill teams like that with shot blockers because you know they're probably going to jump, and you just got to be more solid than them. They right? go after the first reaction. Exactly, and then okay. just take it through the contact. If you're somebody like Teeny, where you can you can you know Teeny can jump with just about anybody. So like he was just going solid through it and drawing the foul on a couple of those dunks. And so yeah, I mean we're we're definitely not going to be afraid to attack some of these teams. We just want to be smart with it. Where if we're attacking and they collapse, then that's when we jump stop kick, and we got to. We've got plenty of shooters on the floor. I don't want to get like out of control with this narrative that, um, that the dog fights have been something that, like, when they when teams slow you down and put you in a grinder, that you've struggled to find ways to win those types of games. Mm-hmm. But what is having a game like that last night, where it isn't, you know, it's not free flowing, it's not always going to your to the style that you guys like to play, and you're able to pull it out. I mean, does that help going forward, or is that just something like, well, it's just kind of a Big East basketball game? Yeah, a little of both probably. I mean, I I think it definitely helps us to win some of those games. You know, teams like Providence and St. John's, like last night, you know, try to slow us down. And, you know, we'll see, I'm sure, you know, with a team like Georgetown next. It's it's bound to happen with some of these Big East games, like you said. But at the same time, it helps us when we can win those type of games. You know, we can win playing ugly. We can win scoring – in the 60s or we could score in the 90s and so that's we more than anything just have to trust our energy on defense because you know with, with we're getting stops if we can hold the other team to 60 we're gonna have a good chance of winning and if, when our offense isn't there we're gonna need to win some of those ugly games so yeah I mean I, I think it, it's definitely nice obviously to win anytime but to win those games would be good for us going forward because there's gonna be some games like that where 
you know, we might not score as much. Yeah. I'm curious about this. This uh, It's just a theory I had going in my head right now. But, like, Kyrie Thomas last night plays the entire second half. He's locked on to Shamari Pons trying to take away – just trying to take him out of their mm-hmm. what they're trying to do. Um, what is it like as a teammate of a guy that – on the defensive end like that? Because people talk about how you can play off of guys' offensive skills. Like, yeah. they're creating their the, the, the attention they draw. Mm-hmm. What is it like – you know, how does the floor magnetize itself around Kyrie's defense when he's taking option number one away from – an opposing team with the rest of you guys on the floor. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great. And more than anything, he can set the tone for us. You know, if he, if you, I think Marcus talked about it about a month ago where it's like, you know, if you're tired on defense, but then you look at Taz and you see he's chasing their best player all game, you got you, you want to give a little bit more because you really don't feel like you have an excuse not to. Great. Because, you know, like you said, he's locking off the best player every game. And he's doing a hell of a job just about every time. And so, you know, it's if you're – Maybe tired for a second, but you, you can, you're going to give that much more because you're seeing how much effort he's putting into it. And he's just, like I said, setting the tone for us. And, and that's why I think we've had some really good defensive games this year. We've had some halves where we've been holding teams to like 30% efficiency. So, like, that's the kind of stuff where, like I said, when our offense isn't there, I think we can be a very good defensive team. We've been a good rebounding team so far. Um, yeah. So we can try to keep that up too, and that just is another strength we can add. What's the hardest part about trying to break Kyrie down when you're in a isol- when you're isolated against him and like you know? Practice? Yeah, I mean, and you know he can get around ball screens yeah. pretty well, so you're not going to shake him that easily just by having a big guy. Yeah, like- I mean, obviously he's athletic, but his arms are so long, and people talk about that. So it's like even if you shake him, he's able to almost pick you if you get him one way. But you can rely on his long long arms. So mm-hmm. it's definitely tough. I prefer him not guarding me. I like Marcus guarding me, so I can go at him <laughs> rather than Taz. But, uh, no, it's there. he's a good defender. And, um, yeah, like you say, he's just he, – more than anything, he's committed to it as well, which is – that's a lot of part of the defense. It's like 90% will. A lot of coaches like to say it's 10% ability. How do you guys feel about where you're at right now at this point? Um, you know that the – look at the Seton Hall game, and it's probably still eating at you to the yeah. fact that uh, – you know that you, that was a game you guys could have won, should have won, however yeah. you want to phrase it. Like it's one that you guys had in your control at some point. Um, but two and one in league play with a road loss at Seton Hall. Yeah. On paper, that does not look like you know you guys are behind the eight ball at all. But how do yeah. you feel about the first three games? How they've gone? How you guys have played? Yeah, I mean, like you said, we would have rather not given away the Seton Hall one, but I think we can definitely learn from it. You know, it's similar to the Baylor or the Gonzaga games where all three of our losses, you know, we played good first half and then had different letdown second half, whether it's defensively, offensively, whatever it may be. So I think we can definitely learn from it and use that going forward as far as when we get in those stretches, like I said last night, where we're maybe not hitting shots, knowing how to respond. So, you know, like you said, two and one, hopefully we can get a road win at Gonzaga, or excuse me, Georgetown on Saturday and then, you know, keep rattling off a couple more wins and be in decent shape. Like you said, Seton Hall's a good team. And it's, it stings a little because we feel like we gave it away, but mm-hmm. at the same time, at the end of the year, if we can not give away any bad losses, then we'll be fine. Yeah. What do you think about this Georgetown matchup coming up? I mean, first of all, you haven't played there well there yeah. in, you know, won, yeah. I don't think ever since Creighton's been in the Big East. Uh, there's one where maybe you had one in 15-16 uh, that got away from you late. Um, but, you know, it's an early morning start. Uh, they're a different type of team than they were in the years past. Obviously, Patrick Ewing... Uh, the new coaching staff had to open it up a little bit more, let their athletes kind of have more free, have more freedom. Um, what do you see out of this iteration of the Georgetown Hoyas that um, you know you're curious to see how you stack up against? 
Yeah, like you said, they, they don't really run the Princeton offense as much anymore, but they are still a little more of traditional as far as, you know, they're going to put it into the post a lot mm -hmm. rather than, you know, a lot of teams we play where they'll more ball screen oriented. They're going to be a lot thrown into the post, whether it's Govan or Derrickson. So we got to be ready for that same type of Big East dogfight um, and then just be ready to you know, guard the dribble still because, they, like you said, their guards are still like capable drivers, very good drivers. And so it'll be a little more post defense than maybe than we were used to um, this year and the last couple of years. So uh, it'll be a good matchup. And like you said, hopefully we can come ready to play and get a road win. What kind of challenges does a Marcus Derrickson type of player present? He's, you know, he's kind of like in that Desi Rodriguez mold where he's a bigger guy, but he can also get going from the perimeter. You know, he can break you down. He can put you in the post. Like he can score in a variety yeah. of ways. What kind of challenges does he present defensively, just from his size and athleticism? Yeah, I mean, obviously he's a he's a really strong guy in the post, and he's going to be banging some of our four men. And so, like. Like you said, his physical presence is pretty crazy, but then you also can't fall asleep on him because he'll just step out and lower you to sleep and hit five threes in your face. So, yeah, he's very, very good offensive player, and so he's been playing well too. I think he's averaging like 22 in the Big East play. Yeah. Um, so it'll be it'll be a challenge. I mean, both him and Govan are, like I said, big strong players inside. So we got to be able to, you know, try to disrupt their post touches and then with Derrickson especially close out on him so he can't get open looks on the threes. What have you learned about this stretch here? That I mean, you guys have been going since um, Christmas Eve. By the way, happy birthday! You're a Christmas baby. Thank I don't you. know if everybody knows that. But Thank you. Very did much. you get ripped off as a kid? Go, go uh, no. Like, when I was growing up, my mom was good about making sure people didn't give me like this, the birthday Christmas double birthday. double counting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the older I get, the more people are counting. They're uh, they're giving me both Christmas and birthday gifts, kind of double counting it. But that's the way it is. But I, I've always liked it. Yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, yeah, you guys get back Christmas Eve you, a day earlier than you know normal, um, and you guys have pretty much been going pedal on the metal ever since. Obviously, the schedule's a grind, but you haven't had a day off practice-wise and things like that. What's the key to getting through this stretch? Um, is it more mental? Is it more physical? I mean, what are some of the keys to kind of keeping your body ready for game time? Yeah, I think a lot of it's mental because, like you said, we, we haven't had too many off days, so we have two-day preps every time for these scouts. Yeah. And so there's a lot of mental scouts because. You know, we want to be ready to play these teams um, with only two-day reps and no off days. So physical, I think it's easy for guys to take care of their bodies. We're not going as long in practices, but it's just being mentally ready without with all those many reps in practice so that way we can, you know, defend these teams on limited availability. I, guess. I do not. I can see if one of the managers can take me. I'll get, I'll get a ride. We're almost done. That's enough... Uh, that's enough shop talk for the Big East. Now we can just dive into the NFL. I think I'm sure you're excited right now as a Chiefs fan because they've they've kind of found their second wind a little bit. Um, you're gonna get a home game in round one with the Tennessee Titans. Uh, how do you feel about that matchup? Before we get your predictions on the you know the field itself. Well, number one, we always seem to be flying back from wherever we play, so I'm not gonna be able to really watch it. I think <laughs> just like tough. when we when we killed the Texans a couple years ago, I wasn't able to. Thanks for reminding me. You're welcome. Yep. Um, but uh, I feel good about, you know, obviously a home game helps, and I don't think Tennessee's that good. If no, they're struggling lose, lately, yeah. If we lose good. to Tennessee, then I'd, I'd be pretty – but what's going to happen is we're going to beat Tennessee, and I'm going to be really excited whether we play Pittsburgh or New England, and then we'll somehow my, – my heart says we can beat either one of those teams because we can, but then we'll – my head says we'll probably somehow find a way to lose late in those games. Well, it's good that you're still acting like a normal Chiefs fan going into this whole thing. Like, 
with high expectations for round one, where the disappointment usually comes. Yeah. And then. Well, I feel like we're we we're slowly building our our organization up the last couple of years, where you know we 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 should win that game. We finally got a playoff win, so now we get to the divisional round, and they'll probably let me down. I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm. Ex- so- I don't know. With, with, I mean, I guess then this is probably close to the end of an era then because Alex Smith is yeah. maybe playing his last games as a Kansas City Chief. Yeah. How do you feel about the Alex Smith era at quarterback? Like, oh, he hasn't it. been terrible, but not like. all people, and I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Chiefs fans that love to like, have been calling from our homes all year because Alex Smith had about a two-game stretch where he played awful. Other than that, he should be in the Pro Bowl. He had better numbers than Phillip Rivers. Yep. He's a, played like a top five quarterback this year. And people acting like he still was checking it down all the time. He threw more deep balls than, like, just as many as Tom Brady did and Drew mm-hmm. Brees. And so, like, he played a hell of a job this year. And like I said, you said that, talking about the Alex Smith era, he's been here for, like, five years now. Yep. And um, we've made the playoff four of the five years. One year we were 9-7, and seven, didn't make it. We made the playoff four or five years. And, like, people don't get, like, how hard it is to find a quarterback that's that capable. Like, Alex Smith's probably, like, a top – 12 quarterback in the NFL mm-hmm. and like if you don't have a decent quarterback your team basically has no chance yes and so he gives you at least you're essentially like capped play. at some point exactly and you could say like you know we're probably capped with Alex Smith but I, I think given the right team Alex Smith can lead a team to a Super Bowl now that's not like you know he's not gonna lead him by himself he's got to do it with a good team and we've got a pretty good team but mm-hmm. like if we you know if if we didn't have Alex Smith and we had this team this year we probably would have fallen apart down the stretch so, um, know, so knowing that you have a favorable matchup against Tennessee and mm-hmm. at home first, and then it's going to Pittsburgh, and then probably to New England or whichever one comes Vice first. Versa, yeah, yeah, based on the reseeding. How do you feel percentage-wise about your chances each round? Start with Tennessee. How good do you feel about uh, win probability as far as that I'd goes? I'd say like seventy-five percent, eighty percent Tennessee. I don't know. They they could always like grind us out on the ground mm-hmm. and really slow it down and win like a seventeen to sixteen game. But I feel like don't you feel like Kansas City's comfortable in that type of game as well? Like I think so too. And I think our I, I don't know Tennessee's defense that well, but I think their front seven's decent. But like I feel like our offense hopefully should have gotten their mojo back now. With that said, you know mm-hmm. it's just one one bad game it would end it. But feel pretty good about that game. If we went to Pittsburgh. I'd feel decent if Antonio Brown wasn't playing. Right, right. That's a question um, mark for sure. But at the same time, the last couple of years, we haven't been able to, like, stop Le'Veon Bell. So, but I still think we even... We but no one at, really has either. Like, exactly. New England didn't stop him either in the AFC Championship game. Well, even with that, you know, last year he ran wild on us in the playoff game at Arrowhead, and then this year we played at Arrowhead, and they won, like, both games. We, like, for as bad as our defense played against them, we were in both games and had a chance to win both games. And so, like, I think we can easily beat Pittsburgh. It's just a matter of doing it. Like the key with Pittsburgh, I think, is probably limiting their big plays in the passing yeah. game. Yeah. And New England is obviously, when you get to third down, because they get to third down quite a bit, yeah. is, you know, making sure you get yourself off the field because, yeah. you know, Gronk is obviously the bad matchup on third down. They can just go to him all day. But Yeah, New England I'm more worried about, obviously, because they're New England, but just because of Belichick's ability to, like, take away your pick, best stuff. Pick, a, pick yep. teams apart, especially defensively. So, like, we played him week one. Obviously, he doesn't have as much info on us as we played him in the AFC Championship game or the second round, whatever it is. So, like, I think we'd have to obviously have another offensive performance like we did in week one and, you know, hope hope to have the ball last or something. But I don't know. Yeah. Let's, let's be Tennessee first. Yeah, for sure. How do you feel about Buffalo-Jacksonville? Go breakdown by breakdown first round. Yeah. Buffalo-Jacksonville at Jacksonville. I, I would assume Jacksonville. If LaShawn McCoy doesn't play, I would assume Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah. 
Jacksonville's defense will do enough to win that game. And then, um, so yeah, I'd say Jacksonville. And then uh, Atlanta at LA, LA NFC's Rams. NFC's wide open. Uh, with, with Carson Wentz being hurt, I think any six of those teams can make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, LA's playing the Falcons, right? Yep, hosting the Falcons. Well. Uh, that's a tricky one. I'd, I'll take LA. Okay. Girly. What do you like about the, what they're doing right now? Just Gurley, man, Gurley. The beast. Yeah. Um, he was, he's been killing it, and you know they've they've got some offensive firepower. I don't know if they'll be able to do that in the playoffs, but mm-hmm. being a young team, but yeah, I mean Gurley's a stud, and Falcons are kind of iffy this year. And we got Carolina, New Orleans, a battle of two teams that probably wouldn't surprise you if they won the Super Bowl exactly. this year. Like, you know, for that to be I'm a like, wild card matchup is yeah. pretty interesting. If it's at New Orleans, that's why I like New Orleans because and they already swept them, right? I think uh, so. Right? They beat them twice, didn't they? I think so. Yeah. Don't quote me on that, but. Um, but yeah, I like the way the Saints are this year. They're not, you know, they got some good defense and the running backs, and mm-hmm. they're just a balanced team. That's why I like them. But so yeah, we'll do that. We'll, we'll take the Saints in that one. All right, so fire to the coal or feet to the coal here. How do you? Who's coming out of the AFC? It's all said and done. Who? Patriots. The Patriots. <laughs> yeah. Such a boring but logical unless, pick at the same time. Yeah, like unless Brady gets hurt. Right. Or the Steelers can beat the Patriots at the Patriots. I just don't think they will. But. I think that killed them when they lost a couple yeah, weeks ago. But absolutely. That was like their yeah. their chance at the Super Bowl was winning that home game. Yeah, because then they would have had home field too. Um, and on the NFC side, you mentioned Carson Wentz is out. But, I mean, yeah. you know, Philly hasn't been great these last couple of weeks, so you kind of wonder about where they're yeah, at. I'm not I'm, – I'm not, and, and the Vikings are good, and they'll get a home game at least first, and maybe if the Eagles lose, another one if they can win that. But, like I said, the NFC is pretty wide open. Now, give me the Saints. Give me the Saints? Yeah. So they're gonna have to win a road, they're gonna have to win maybe two road games then yeah, to get there, right? If they, so if they they win their first one and then you know they could play like the Vikings and I don't know maybe they'd play the Eagles, but I think they could do it. And you know they're kind of built to win on the road this year because they can actually run the ball and mm-hmm. got some weapons. But I don't know. I, like I said, the NFC is so wide open. Like you said, Carolina could make the Super Bowl, so they could beat the Saints right away. But mm-hmm. we'll go Saints Patriots. Okay. So you don't you're not rooting for one of those Vikings hosting a Super Bowl matchup like that's kind of nah, crazy. There's though. too many Vikings fans like around Omaha for that to happen. It'd be unbearable. Nah, it's you're not as bad Zach, anymore. Zach, Isaiah, Zach and Isaiah, <laughs> it's not as bad anymore. Zach, I didn't mind when the Vikings went. I kind of rooted for him. Uh-huh. Uh, Roggy, if he was here, I wouldn't want the Vikings. But uh, yeah, no, I want the Chiefs to me. It's not gonna go up yeah. there to it, obviously, because I think we have an off day that day or something like that. Oh really? But, yeah. You find a way to get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, have so, Mac plug in some of his connections. To, exactly. Yeah. Or I'm, yes, I'll find find a way somehow. But now, unless like Brady got hurt, I don't think the Chiefs can make the Super. Well, maybe they could. I don't know. I'm excited. You've already done it once. Like you have that going for you if you go into we, Foxborough. You have do, the fact that do, you that for 60 minutes you kind of whip them. The last them. like five years, we've you know come up with a couple wins against Patriots that other teams haven't been able to. So I, I do like that, but we'll see. Well, let's beat the Titans first, and I'll yeah. gain some more confidence, and then we'll see who we got. Hopefully Buffalo. Eh, I don't know. I don't know who, I'd probably rather have Jacksonville. Let's see. If Jacksonville won, we'd play the Patriots next. Mm-hmm. So I'd probably rather have Buffalo win. But we'll Just see. avoid them as long as you can. Yeah. All right, so if, if all things go according to what you think, and it's New England versus New Orleans, Brady versus Breeze, a rematch of week two this, this year where yeah. New England kind of went into New Orleans and whipped them pretty bad. How do you feel about a rematch going in Minnesota. That'll be a good game. Indoors, like, yeah. you know, the Saints should be comfortable there. Yeah, no, that'll be a good game. Um, let's go Saints. Give me Saints just give, so give, I'm, give I'm not chalk. Yeah, right. so I'm not chalk on okay. Patriots because, yeah, Patriots are good, always. I'm Brady needs to retire to give the Chiefs a chance in the AFC. 
Well, I hope for until Mahomes comes in and really disrupts it. <laughs> Takes the league by storm. Yeah. Yeah, that Mahomes Deshaun Watson rivalry will be fun for That will be fun. We'll have to keep coming on the podcast. I'll he, track uh, you down wherever yeah, you're at in yeah. the world. Yeah, you can do that. He uh he looked good in the Denver game at least. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's he's got such a crazy arm and ability to make plays. Yeah, he's exciting. just a, he's he's gonna be electric, but he'll do things that'll like It'll be like, what were you thinking uh, there? It's, like, it's yeah. the complete opposite of Alex Smith. Yeah, the, the the quarterback that probably Andy Reid has never had in his life is yeah. Patrick Mahomes. Like we got used to Alex Smith and like probably took for granted how he does not turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. We, I think we almost set an NFL record this year. We only turned it over 11 times. That's crazy for a 16. Yeah. yeah, that's not even. And that's so insane. like, he did not turn it over, and I think people just kind of took it for granted. And so Mahomes, obviously being young, especially will turn it over, but he's a gunslinger. Yeah. At the same time, he'll make some plays that other people can't make. So, right. Yeah. Well. Um, I hope for your sake that we get to talk about the Chiefs a little bit more than hope so. beyond this week and beyond yeah. maybe next week. Maybe you get to like, maybe a win, just one win over the Steelers or New England would oh, be enough to satisfy to you, even if you don't. Yeah, that's what I mean. Because you have to do something crazy to get there. Just got to keep getting better. Each exactly. Yeah. All right, well, I appreciate the time, Tyler. Thanks for yep. sitting down. Thanks for having me. Um, get off your feet. Enjoy your rest. Appreciate that. Get ready for practice tomorrow morning. Have a good one. Thanks a lot.